in a series called Acts, a Church for the City. And for the next two weeks, I want to look at Acts, prayer in the city. I want to explore how the early church prayed. And I believe we've got lots to learn from how they prayed. And it can help shape our prayer lives here in LA. Prayer can be defined in a number of ways. In its simplest form, prayer is the created capacity to communicate with God the created capacity to communicate with God. God created us for intimate, conversational, interactive relationship with him. Some of you know one of my favorite quotes is from Andrew Murray where he says this, the power of prayer depends almost entirely upon our apprehension of who it is with whom we speak. And we are speaking to the creator of the universe. Our God, the creator of the universe, created you and me for intimate conversational relationship with him. In fact, from Genesis to Revelation, there's not a book or an era in which God's not speaking to his people about big picture issues, as well as speaking into the smaller details of their life as they pray. And this interactive conversational relationship continues into the book of Acts, shaping and directing the early church to transform their cities. Commentators, as you know, say that Acts spans a period of 30 to 35 years. And prayer occupies a significant part of their journey. Nearly almost all of its 28 chapters mention the church praying personally or corporately in one way or another. And it's not just because of the sheer number of times prayer is featured in Acts. It's also the location in the narrative. If you look at it, if you highlight every time the church prays, it's either preceded or after a huge event in the life and history of the church. They're either praying into something or praying in response to something continually as the people of God. You'll find again and again key moments of the book that God responds to them as they pray. Just listen to some of these examples of when they prayed. Beginning with the disciples returning to Jerusalem after the ascension of Christ, they gather in the upper room. You know this, we've looked at that, this in this series in Pentecost, when, when a sound of a violent wind fills the space that they were praying in and each one of them is filled with the Holy Spirit. Then in Acts 2, and this is going to come up on the screen, we get this wonderful picture of the fellowship and pattern of the prayer life of the early church. Acts 2, 42-3-1. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many Wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
Normally we stop there when we read this verse, but then chapter 3, verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at 3 in the afternoon. Later in chapter 3, a man who was crippled from birth was healed through prayer. In chapter 4, when the church was persecuted by the Sanhedrin, they prayed and asked God to give them boldness to continue witnessing. In chapter 6, the apostles said, we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. In chapter 7, while he was being stoned to death, Stephen prayed, Lord, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out this astounding prayer. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. While he was being stoned, he prayed for those who were stoning him. And then it said he fell asleep. In chapter 8, Peter and John prayed for the believers in Samaria as they received the Holy Spirit. In chapter 9, after turning to the Lord, returning to the Lord's soul prayed. In chapter 10, an angel of the Lord appeared to Cornelius as he prayed. In chapter 12, the church prayed and cried out for Peter when he was in prison. In chapter 13, the leaders of Antioch Church were fasting and praying. In chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for the church with prayer and fasting. In chapter 16, Paul led Lydia to the Lord in a place of prayer, and through prayer, the prison doors were burst open. In chapters 17, 18, and 19, all of Paul's missionary trips were saturated with prayer. In chapters 22 to 26, Paul prayed as he testified of Jesus before the Jews. In chapter 27, in the face of a hurricane storm on a boat, Paul prayed. In chapter 28, after the storm in Malta, Paul prayed for a sick man who was healed. And this is not an exhausted list of when the church prayed in the book of Acts. In the good and in the bad, the early church prayed. In moments of great joy or in moments of deep suffering, and sadness, they prayed. In the face of impossible circumstances, they cried out to God in prayer. In ordinary, everyday, mundane life, they prayed. But they also prayed in the midst of great miracles. While being persecuted, tortured, and imprisoned, they prayed. In life, and at the point of death, they prayed and worshipped their God. This is the kind of praying people the early church were. They had patterns of regular hours of prayer, as was their Jewish custom. Jesus would have done the same. This is what we caught up with at the end of chapter 2, chapter 3, verse 1. John and Peter at 3 in the afternoon, a well-known liturgical place where the Jewish tradition would stop to pray. There was a set traditional set of time to pray, but there was also other times that they prayed. It doesn't take long to realize that prayer wasn't simply a set of daily devotional practices or prayer at church on Sundays. For the early church, there was no sacred and secular separation. They prayed in the temple, but they prayed 
out in the streets as well. They prayed individually in the secret place. Each one of them had their own private rhythm and pattern and place of prayer that they would go to. But it was also spontaneous, responding to situations that they were faced with. They also prayed in public, irrespective of where they were and who was watching. I wonder if we set a show of hands, when was the last time you did something that risky in L.A.? They prayed for the poor, they prayed for the rich. They prayed for people they loved, and they prayed for total strangers, even their enemies. In fact, it's impossible to read the book of Acts and miss the importance of prayer in the everyday life of the early church. Prayer was the fuel that the early church had. And when they prayed, lives, circumstances, and whole cities were transformed through the power of their prayer. It's not just something they did. It's who they were. They were quite literally living, walking, talking prayers. It's who they were. And they built their lives around the centrality of prayer. And all that they did came from a place of prayer. Watching and learning from Jesus, inspired and filled with the Holy Spirit, they took the power and practice of prayer and integrated it into their lives into transformative patterns and rhythms that shaped and formed their personal and corporate lives together. It was the very core of who they were and the very core of how they practiced life. Everything they did was shaped and formed by these patterns and rhythms. And it's from this place they took it out into the streets and transformed people's lives. And I do honestly believe this is the lifestyle of prayer that God is inviting us into at this time and in this place for the sake of our city. One that begins with us and moves out into the streets of LA. In fact, God's not just inviting us to pray. Do you know that the flourishing of our city, the well-being of our city, the spiritual environment and culture of our city is dependent upon you and I holding it in prayer. Where you go tomorrow morning is the flourishing of that space, the health of that space, the spiritual vitality of that space, the souls of the people in that space is dependent upon you holding that space in the secret place in prayer and crying out to God for it. Oswald Chambers puts it brilliantly. Prayer doesn't equip us for greater works. Prayer is the greater work. But it's something we have to practice and train ourselves into doing because we live in a culture, don't we, that's constantly undermining our capacity to be a praying people. John Mark Comer, in his excellent book, if you haven't read this, it's one we highly recommend, A Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, quotes a study done by Michael Zigarelli. 
of over 20,000 Christians across the globe, identifying busyness as a major distraction from spiritual life. Listen to what he concludes. It may be that Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which leads God to becoming more marginalized in Christian lives, which leads to a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which then leads to more conformity of culture of busyness, hurry and overload. Then he says, the cycle begins again. Show of hands if you recognize that cycle. Yeah, and if you didn't put your hand up, you're lying. Um, <laughs> a couple of years ago, while driving home from the mountains, uh, we had a wonderful vacation, um, but because we were coming down from the mountains, my wife took a Dramamine, and uh, it was uh, not the non-drowsy type, it was the other type, and uh, to my amazement, she started to get really dozy and fall asleep. And in my newfound freedom of her not controlling my speed limit, <laughs> I, found <that> the closer, <laughs> I found the closer I got to home, the more my gas foot pressed on the gas, you know? And slowly but surely, I was completely unintentionally going way over the speed limit until I passed a police car on the side of the freeway. And that's when I responded in one of those wonderful last-minute panic prayers, Dear Lord. And I slammed the brakes on, and Sibs woke up in a startle and said, What's happened? What's happened? I was like, Nothing, dear. Everything's fine. Off you go. Back to sleep. A few months ago, my wife and I moved to LA. And it was closed. We moved into lockdown. As most people were flying away, we moved in. And we moved into a closed LA. And I have to confess, our first impressions were, this place is lovely. <laughs> there are families walking the streets. And there are people walking their dogs, all 50, 100,000 of them. Dogs everywhere. Um, did I mention dogs? Dogs are everywhere in California. Um, they're walking their dogs. It reminded me of Sundays when I was a child. Anyone remember when Sundays were closed? Hands up, be bold. We're the elders of the tribe here. Yeah. I remember when Sundays were closed and you could play football in the middle of the street because there'd be very few cars, very few people. It would be like a sort of just a wonderful Sabbath day. And that's what it felt like. We lived just up the, we lived, moved in just up the hill in West LA. Well, of course, what's happening now is that we're out of lockdown. <laughs> and the traffic, as everyone kept warning us, the traffic will be back. Well, sure enough, the traffic is back. Uh, the shops are fully open. Restaurants are fully open. Bars are fully open. Offices are now getting repopulated with staff. And you can feel the pace of life is picking up. Before we know it, we'll all be traveling. If we're not already, before we know it, we'll all be traveling way over the speed limit of the way we were created to live. And when we do this, prayer is often what's pushed to the margin and pushed to the side. 
what happens is that slowly but surely without realizing it, we end up so enmeshed and entangled into the world's way of being that we get fragmented and disconnected from that inner place where God's presence indwells us. And we start to lose the battle for prayer and we become prayerless. And when that happens, we lose touch with his presence. And in a culture like ours, that's a dangerous place to be in. Because it won't take long before we're making decisions, small and big, about relationships, about work, about what we're doing with our life, without God's guidance. And we can end up slowly but surely, what begins with just a little separation, we can end up being in the distant country of the prodigal son without even really intending to be. The solution to our condition is to learn the unforced rhythms of grace and make prayer our center. As one theologian puts it, at the heart of original sin is the refusal to accept God's rhythm for us. Listen, build a secret place of prayer with God. And together, make it the control room of your life. Build a secret place of prayer with the Lord in his presence and make it the control center of your life. Then practice praying in ways that help you to be attentive to what God's doing at at any given moment. Like the early church, we need to be a people who continually come back to him to be filled, refreshed, renewed by his presence and learn to hear his voice. Then he'll start to use us to speak to others. We had the most incredible kingdom come last Wednesday night. Anyone here for kingdom come? It was just, we were so, Max and I, the worship team, we were so humbled by the presence of God in this place. And as I prayed in the afternoon, I got a a, a quick glimpse of a picture. And I'm not one that gets pictures that often, but I got a a quick glimpse of a picture. And it was the word hope in neon light, but it was the size of a billboard. And so uh, there were a few other things that other prayer team got that I was going to share, but I I got up on the stage and I thought, I'm just going to take the risk. I've learned it's better to take the risk than regret not doing these things. So I'm going to take the risk. I'm just going to say, hey, this is a picture I've had while praying for this tonight. And and I sensed it spoke to uh, one girl in the room. I didn't know who that girl was, but I just shared it. And of course, much to my surprise, when I said, can you just a raise of hands if this has spoken to you? A number of hands went up in the room. And then I just spoke hope over those people. At the end of Kingdom Come, three people walked up. One in particular went through a whole set of circumstances as to how she ended up coming to this place at that night in desperate need. She literally said, the word I was praying for is, I'm desperately in need of hope. Another person came up and said, I've I've been a Christian for years. I've always heard people's story of how God uses people to speak to them. And I, and I haven't believed it until tonight. I wrote in my journal, Lord, I need hope this afternoon. This is what happens when we build lives around prayer, that we get to hear God's voice 
and then he uses us. It's so humbling to be used by God to speak life into others and watch them come alive. When we pray, things happen. When we don't, guess what? They don't happen. This is not rocket science. When we pray, things happen. When we don't, they don't. Prayer is the place the early church found the power to transform their cities. And prayer is the only place that will find the power to transform ours. So we create the space, the place, the rhythm, and the pattern so that like the early church, returning to his presence in prayer becomes a muscle memory that we just do as reaction to whatever circumstances we're facing. And the more we pray, the more we'll feel God's presence in our lives. The more you practice his presence, the more you'll hear his voice. And the more you'll become aware of what, he, what his presence feels like, the more he will start to use you out there. Because that's where we're needed most. All the great spiritual masters of prayer offer one non-negotiable rule. You have to show up for prayer. And you have to show up regularly. Everything else is negotiable and respects your unique context and circumstances. The challenge is to keep going and build the rhythm no matter how it feels. There's an ebb and a flow, rhythms and patterns, stages and seasons to the prayer life of the early church. And the task is not to give up until you've found yours. So before we're all completely consumed, before we jump back into the madness that is LA life, and perhaps some of you are already there, God's inviting us to push back against the dysfunctional patterns of our culture and be consumed by him. To go deeper and further in him and to learn to move from performance, drivenness and striving to prayer and resting in his presence to keep in step with the Holy Spirit, to listen to what God's saying, to discern what God's doing, and then join in with that. Pete Gregg, in his incredible book, Dirty Glory, again, a book we highly recommend, Pete Gregg, Dirty Glory. It's the most encouraging book on prayer. He says this, the greatest answer to prayer is prayer itself. God can perform miracles easily, but rarely do we humble ourselves enough to truly ask for them. When the church becomes hungry for more of God's power and presence, we finally turn to him in persevering prayer. Seeking his face day and night, we can be sure that the Lord will not be slow to act. When the church becomes so hungry, for more of God's presence. Are your tummies grumbling in hunger for more of God's presence? We're going to look next week at more practical ways you can do this and ways in which, as vintage, we're going to set up patterns and rhythms for prayer. But it begins with hunger for more of God. And I honestly sense that that's what God wants to do this morning. He wants to birth in us a renewed hunger for more of him. Let's take a moment just to be still.
I'm going to invite you to close your eyes for a moment. We all come in here this morning from different journeys, different circumstances. And for those watching, and God is inviting, I believe, each and every one of us to take personal responsibility for our prayer lives. And he's speaking this to me. To have the tenacity and the courage and the boldness to fight for prayer. For ourselves. For our families. For our city. For our church. For places in the world. There is so much he's inviting us in to pray about. But it begins with hunger. And so for some this morning, I don't say this message to bring about guilt. I say it to bring about an invitation. For some of us, God is inviting us to begin again. To begin again. For some, you're already as I've been speaking, you're aware you're already in that dangerous place and God is saying, set apart before you fall apart. Set apart before you fall apart. In other words, press the pause button and come and sit with me. And for others, You've been hounding God over things that break your heart. You've been hounding him for breakthrough. And he wants to fill you with an encouragement to not give up. And so if any of those points speak to you, I'm going to invite you to take a bold step. I'm going to invite people to keep their eyes closed. But I'm going to invite you, if you want to either begin again, if you want to either say, Lord, I'm on the edge, help me. Or it's, I'm, I'm going to make that concerted, determined effort for breakthrough. I'm going to invite you to just gently stand. If it's for the sake of one, just stand where we are. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And I'm just going to invite you to extend your hands out in front of you. And I want to pray over us. Lord, you see the hearts of these people who have stood up. You know, when they sit and when they lie down, you know, every hair on their head. You know their words before they come to mind. You know them and you love them. And if you're responding at home, this is just as urgent a call. 
Now, Holy Spirit, let your presence fall afresh on these people. And as they stand now, speak to them. Renew in them a steadfast spirit. Release in them a new language of prayer. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) Father, I pray that your word, where it's become dry, it would become living and active again in their lives. I pray that the pen for their journaling would get writing again. I pray that you deposit fresh vision for who they are and their purpose in you. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. And so as we move into a time of worship, going to encourage all of us, God's moving in a new way in our church. We felt it Wednesday. As we worship, just invite the Holy Spirit to fill you afresh. Be expectant to meet with the Lord. Don't just watch from the outside looking in, but lean in to God. Let's worship the Lord. Everyone stand. Let's worship God.